I love scotch. 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 Yep. Have another whiskey. If you'd like to speak to me in person, press one. If you'd like to order drugs, press hash. <laughs> I had a gentleman in the crowd that was like, tell me how to drink Glenfiddich. And I was like, I will not do that. You drink Glenfiddich how you want to drink Glenfiddich. Wear a cowboy hat in Los Angeles and look at the amount of looks you get. Yeah, it's unbelievable. This is the most flamboyant city on earth. You wear a cowboy hat. People look at you like you are yep. like an alien. The Beatles came on and they mate picked me up on his shoulder. George Harrison is as close to me as that yep. wall now. I went, all right, George, all right. And he went, cough. <laughs> and that was the closest <laughs> I ever came to the Beatles. <laughs> have a whiskey while we... Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheers, Cheers. Long. Cheers. Yep. So welcome back to United States of Dramerica. So this one's going to be a bit different, I'll be honest. Uh, I have with me today Red 12. Um, so not from Star Wars. Uh, we have Red 12 from the Red Arrows. Would you like to introduce yourself? I certainly would, yeah. My name is uh, Flight Lieutenant David Simmons. Um, as you say, Red 12 for uh, the Red Arrows. Um, this year we're on a tour of North America uh, and we've brought 12 jets out here. So I've been lucky enough to join the tour to fly the, uh, the 12th jet. Uh, between each display and then uh, my other role is I sit in the back seat uh, during displays um, using uh, some of the camera technology that uh, we're creating some of the images that we're, we're taking uh, to put out there on social media. Fantastic. So for our American listeners, uh, the Red Arrows are the equivalent of the Blue Angels or the Thunderbirds? That's uh, right, yes. Yeah. So the, uh, the US has uh, two display teams, uh, one for the US Navy and then uh, one for the, obviously for the Air Force. We just have the one display team in the UK, uh, the Red Arrows, and, and doing the very similar role. So promoting um, Best of British for, for us and also promoting what the, military, uh, what the military does for the wider community. So normally, as our regular listeners will know, we talk for a few minutes with the guest and then at some point I remember we're meant to be talking about whiskey and ended up opening a bottle of whiskey. This podcast, uh, Red 12 has been staring at my bottle of whiskey since the beginning and I think he just wants me to open it. So um, we'll get the whiskey out a little bit earlier than usual. Um, so That's I, a great idea. Yeah, so for today's bottle, um, we have a bottle of Glen Moray 15, chosen because it is the closest distillery we could find to RAF Lossiemouth, which is where um, the Red Arrows team uh, base themselves were in Scotland? Uh, we haven't ever been based up in Scotland. Um, there's plenty of uh, team members, though, who have served up there before, so myself included. Um, I used to fly the Tornado GR4, uh, and I was based up in Lossiemouth uh, from 2010 to 2013. Well, that's a very nice noise. Uh, thank you. Um, uh, and other team members as well have served up there um, as well. And we go up there to display uh, every year for their family's day. Uh, and we also stopped in there on our way over to the States. So we left Lincolnshire as our home base. Um, and then our first stop was Lossiemouth to, uh, to stop there uh, to refuel before going on to Iceland, to, uh, Greenland and into Canada from there. Super. So uh, thank you very much. Um, just for those of people who worry about these things, because nowadays there are people out there who do, uh, this is all entirely sanctioned. No one's flying later this evening or even tomorrow. So this is, they're allowed to have one small measure of whiskey um, during uh, their tour. So uh, don't worry about that, anybody. So actually, there's uh, some PR people in the room who are looking at the whiskey. Do I, do I need to pour extras for other people? I won't tell if you won't. Okay, so there's more whiskey being poured. This is, uh, this is fine. There's plenty of whiskey to go around. Um, it's a very good 15 as well. It is. So it's finished in uh, bourbon and sherry casks. Uh, so, cheers. 
So I should have got a 12-year-old because you're red 12. Is, is there a red 15? <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, the 15 is, is very good. So, yeah. so happy with that. Cheers. Brilliant. So I got distracted by pouring whiskey. So let's. why are the red arrows in America? We're in America um, really to, to promote uh, everything that's the best of British. So the team itself has a, uh, a bunch of, of ethos and sort of messages um, to be... Uh, the very best of what we can we can do. Uh, we want to showcase the best of those skills uh, and teamwork to um, the rest of the British public. Uh, and then also on a tour, we are going to export that to the, to the USA. We're also working with the Department of International Trade uh, and doing quite a lot with uh, with trade uh, to showcase the best of our British industry uh, while we're on tour as well. So it's entirely appropriate, actually, then, that we should be drinking whiskey as part of this because whiskey is part of best of the British. Absolutely it is, yeah. yeah. For, um, you know, that's one of Scotland's biggest exports um, and you know I have been based in the United States on an exchange tour um, and one of the things that I did was host a whiskey evening um, and you know people would come around to the house we would have uh, you know four or five different whiskies have a little bit of a whiskey tasting and that's all I, I think part of you know uh, my job is to promote best of British while I'm an exchange officer in the States. Yeah absolutely and, uh, and for our regular listeners will know I used to be a, a diplomat with the government and I used to do a lot of whiskey tastings actually my my last one was with your navy my only other sort of armed services one was with the navy when I was in Germany we did a whiskey tasting on a warship, so we did a tasting on RAF Sutherland, which is the only ship in the Royal Navy fleet which was christened with a bottle of whiskey and not a bottle of champagne. Okay. Um, and we did a tasting with some, the kilt-wearing uh, commander of that warship, and we drank a, a, a good selection of whiskey, and lots of people came to enjoy it because whiskey diplomacy does work. I think so, so very much so, yeah. Um, it's You mentioned earlier about soft power and that kind of thing, and uh, sometimes just having a chat uh, in the bar uh, over a, a delicious um, single malt scotch uh, is where you can get the job done. So let's talk about the job a bit. So how does one become a Red Arrows display team pilot? Uh, so there's a criteria that you need to, um, to fulfill. Um, the first of which you need to have 1,500 fast jet hours. So all of the team um, will have flown uh, fast jets before, uh, so they're all fighter pilots in their own right. Um, you need to be uh, above average, uh, so in terms of the rest of your peers, you need to be able to stand out in terms of your skills and handling. Um, and then you need to obviously be uh, selected by the team itself. So you'll go for a, for a week with the team, you'll fly in the back seat um, for uh, a week at a time, so three times a day. Um, and then you'll go up on social events as well. So um, when we're away on this kind of tour, we're away for say 10 or 11 weeks, uh, we're living in each other's pockets every day. So really the, uh, the, the top criteria is how well we all get on individually together. And this tour is exceptionally long. So in the f- 54 years the Red Arrows have been flying, you've done 5,000 displays in 57 countries, but right, an 11-week yeah. tour across North America is a, is a huge ordeal. It is the biggest tour that we've, uh, we've ever done. Um, we have come to North America before, uh, we've only got to the East Coast, so I think uh, in terms of the planning for this tour, we wanted to see if we could branch out a little bit wider than that to, uh, to encompass the whole of the USA. Um, so that meant that we'd have to leave a little bit earlier um, to come across. Um, so we finished our display season just a little bit earlier this season to give us that time then to fit in all of the displays, particularly onto the West Coast. So we'd be able to display at Miramar, Portland and the Great Pacific Air Show as well, which we've never been to. Uh, so absolutely looking forward to those. Uh, 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 what's it like? Because obviously given that you have served in active duty, to now be part of a 
a team which is all about obviously precision flying, but it's also you know you're not just flying for the sake of flying. You're you're telling a story. You're inspiring people. What is that like to transition from you know the more traditional thing you would expect an RAF pilot to do to be part of this team? I think there is a, a jump, um, and it's a different type of, of flying. Um, some of the core skills still apply, so we do formation flying on the front line, do instrument flying, general handling, that kind of things, all kinds of other things. Um, but what we're doing is just um, showcasing the very best of that kind of formation flying. So um, the real high-end kind of skills, the handling um, to be right next to another airplane, you know, only six feet away. Um, you're not doing that quite so often on the front line. So for me personally, it's a real honor to be able to be brought into this kind of environment uh, to showcase that, um, your personal skills, but then to put it on display in front of a, a wide audience um, like we're doing out here is, is a real honor. And obviously teamwork, because you're flying so close to each other yep. and the formations are so beautifully executed, that the, the, the teamwork required for that must be an extraordinary level of, of practice and understanding. It is for me that, so the flying side of the teamwork is a, just one small part. Um, so the Red Arrows is made up of about 130 people. And for me, when I came into the team, I, I was gobsmacked by that. I thought, you know, we do these big global kind of events and things. I thought it would be a, supported by hundreds of people, but it's actually just a small group, uh, which we genuinely call our, our team. And it's made up of, yes, there's the nine pilots who display, but all of the blues um, who are, are back uh, around staff and our engineers. So it goes, so is it red one to 12 are the Pilots, Normally then? it's red 1 to, to 11, uh, okay. just for this tour we've got 12 along uh, yeah. for the ride and um, I'm going to be brought into the team for, for next year so I'm very much uh, lucky to be able to come on, on this and, tour. And then do the Blues get numbered as well from 1 to 137? <laughs> <or> <laughs> I don't think so. But, um, but that teamwork really does go through all the way down stairs through the hangar. Yeah. Uh, we absolutely rely on the Blues, uh, they do an amazing job in terms of servicing our aircraft uh, and right through to all the admin staff who are working tirelessly to put um, this tour together, whether it be hotel bookings, booking the, uh, the wheels and everything like that. But um, really it's uh, the guys in the hangar who are putting the, the work in overnight if a jet breaks and then to, to make sure we're guaranteed to have that uh, nine jet display in the morning. Do you have a spare jet, presumably? Or? Yeah, so for this tour we've got three spare jets okay. uh, and that's why I'm involved as, as number, number 12. Um, yeah. But they're complex machines and you know they can easily go wrong. Uh, Safety is paramount, so we don't want to take a, a jet which has got a problem uh, into the air clearly uh, to display in front of the public, so we want to have those spare jets available. And to get nine, we would normally on the road take, uh, take 10. Uh, if it's a big display, we'll take 11, but just for a tour. But this magnitude, then we've, we've brought the 12th jet with us. Yeah. Now, um, it's sort of 10 applications for every spot on the team, so it's obviously well soft after. Is this something, when you first joined the RAF as a, you know, as a naive young lad who's probably drinking worse whiskies than this, <laughs> were you thinking, I want to join and I want to become a Red Arrow? Or is it something that you think about once you're in service? For, I think it's a very personal question and, and for me, absolutely. I used to go to air shows as a little boy. Okay. I, I, so when I'm, I go to air shows now, I can really relate to uh, those kids who are out there. Um, I fortunately had a display season before this, uh, displaying the tornado as well, so I had a little taster of that. Um, and it's our chance really to be able to give back. So we've, I've had a full career flying fast jets and I feel really privileged to have done that. So to come back into this environment, and see that kind of eight-year-old lad who's just seen this amazing display in front of him and is just sort of 
in, in awe. When you can get back to that airfield and actually meet those people, that means a, a great deal. And if you can sign their hat or you give them a poster for their bedroom wall or, or something like that, for me, that is, is the part that is, uh, is really good. That's fantastic. So you're sort of you're, you're finding the next you out there and inspiring yeah, them. Yeah, and you never know where you're going to bump into that person. And, you know, you've always got to have that time uh, and that smile on your face to say that, you know, you can do it. Um, and it comes down to if you really want to put that hard work in, um, then the world is out there. It's your oyster. That's extraordinary. So it's a three-year tour. So what happens in year four? Do you just return to active duty yeah, as normal? Uh, so that's a, a certainly an option. Um, there's a whole variety of things that you could uh, go and do. But um, yeah, typically uh, you'll do a three-year tour with the Red Arrows and then um, you can just filter back into uh, into the wider Air Force uh, to do you know whatever comes next. But uh, yeah, could absolutely go back to the front line and fly a Typhoon or an F-35. And because it's so sought after and so prestigious, are there you know are there people when you when you were serving normally in, in you know in normal service were, would you bump into someone who you knew was Red Seven five years ago and get all their stories? Is that is there sort of a, a mythology around these guys as they as they wander around doing their normal jobs? I think so. Yeah, when you're when you're certainly in the team, um, I think you're very much in that privileged position, um, and. As I said before, I was that little schoolboy who uh, did watch displays and things like that. So I've always had an interest in the Red Arrows. So when my friends suddenly started to become interested or, or got selected, then I would certainly keep in touch with them to see how they were finding it and how interesting it was. Is that, uh, is that, is that one of yours? That's not, no, that's not, we're finished fine. That's, okay, all right. Um, that's an F-16 getting airborne out of uh, Fort Worth. Oh, very good. Yeah. So we're in Dallas, I, I think I mentioned that, and uh, we're obviously near a base, I assume. Yeah, we're, we're next to uh, Joint uh, Base Robbins in uh, Fort Worth. It's where the F-35 um, uh, production line is. And earlier today, we've flown past that. We've done some uh, series of fly-pasts uh, past the actual production line. Uh, 3,000 of their employees came outside to, to watch what we were doing. Wow. And then uh, to reciprocate, they gave us a tour of the factory afterwards, and we've been watching uh, F-35s being built. Fantastic. That, so talking of, of numbers, obviously it's 3,000 today. Um, don't I understand over the course of this 11-week tour, because you're taking in air shows, you'll be flying in front of well, well over a million people live not to mention whatever gets picked up on on social media and so on yeah you have to pinch yourself sometimes um, the audiences are just are, are massive uh, some of the show sites uh, I think Chicago for me particularly stood out uh, it's a big kind of waterfront or lakefront um, uh, display site and I have the privilege to sometimes sit in the back for a display um, having displayed before uh, if you're doing the display itself, you're just concentrating purely on Red One to do all of those manoeuvres, but to sit in the back, you can have a more of a look out the window and see what's going on. And just to look down, you can you can see the shorefront of, of just people, uh, and literally a million people lining that shorefront. You can't see the beach or anything like that because it's just crammed with people. It's phenomenal. Extraordinary. Now, we must remember, as often happens here, as we get caught up in these fascinating conversations, this is meant to be a whiskey podcast. So, I... When I was negotiating being allowed to do a podcast with your handler, um, there was quite a few members of the team apparently were rather excited at the prospect of sitting around drinking whiskey. I don't think it was with me, I think it was the drinking whiskey. Um, so how did you get picked? Uh, must just be a, um, my reputation for liking whiskey. I Fantastic. Uh, so tell me your whiskey story. Were you, you yeah, grew up drinking terrible whiskey and graduated to good stuff? Or? Not, not really. So it was my tour at Lossiemouth really that kicked it all off. Okay. Um, uh, so I did a, a three or four year tour up there. Um, I had a VW camper van, uh, which my wife had converted. And we used to uh, drive around the, the highlands and, and, and islands. And um, 
what better place to stop at, at than a, a distillery. And Fantastic. Normally distillery tours, you have to drive to, to them, you'd have a maybe a dram and that's kind of it, uh, and then you, you're going to be driving away, but if you rock up with a camper van, they normally let you park in the car park. So did did you buy a camper van so you could do a distillery tour and sleep in the back of it, or did, is it the other way around? <laughs> I evolved one way or the other, but Extraordinary. Um, it, it worked out very well. Uh, so we, yeah, we had the dog, uh, the camper van, the other wife, and, um, and that's how we got into, into some serious whiskey. Brilliant. Do you uh, remember how many distilleries you went to? Ish? Uh, majority of them. Well, it's like 140. <laughs> it took three years of dedicated hard work. Uh, we also used to fly over them as well. So yeah. uh, sometimes you'd, you'd go and say hi in distillery, and, and then it's nice to give them a flyby uh, just to say hi that you've been there and things like that. And some are very receptive. Oh, interesting. Uh, and I found that you'd go to them, and most of the series are, are very friendly kind yeah. of uh, places. You've obviously been to a few, and you end up you know, getting uh, chatting and stuff like that. And if you've been given a really uh, nice time, you've had a good day, I'd typically, you know, would then purchase a bottle. So um, I take it back to, to Lossy Mouth, and then uh, we had a group of us who would have a you know, the odd um, uh, whiskey sort of tasting session, and it, it kind of grew from there. Um, Fantastic. And then I, I very fortunately got an exchange with the Marine Corps out here in the States, uh, flying the Harrier in Yuma. Um, so I, I thought, well, why, why not take that kind of um, thing with me and, and end up building a collection in the States as well? Fantastic. Collection of bourbons and. Yeah, oh, some bourbons. I've got a particular penchant for a sherry cask whiskey, okay. so um, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention particular distilleries. But yeah, yeah, no, we, we are. So a couple of distilleries have actually offered to sponsor the podcast, and we've we've said no. We want we want to remain uh, distillery agnostic. Mm-hmm. Um, so we will drink anything. Uh, um, absolutely, well, I'll stick with that. But yeah, for, for me, it's a, uh, a sherry cask would be the, the okay. top of my tree. And I've noticed this particular Glenmore is a uh, is a mix of. Um, Oak and yeah, cherry. it's oak and cherry. You can definitely taste the, the cherry notes yeah. through the toffees and the um, the kind of raisins and the um, the fifteen year old is, is a very uh, smooth note of the fish. Yes, it is. So, what's your favourite distillery to have visited? Some of them are very. I think the Macallan New One has just won one of the like best ten new buildings in the world. Not just distilleries. So really? it's a whole thing now. Uh, for me, Jura stands out. Um, mm. It's a very small uh, distillery, um, kind of family oriented affair. Um, you have to get two ferries to get there, so they're very welcoming that you've made that effort, and yeah. they kind of reward you for, for making that effort. Um, again, we just stayed in the in the camper van there, um, and the guy threw me the keys and said, you know, um, go and help yourself, uh, kind of thing. And it was just an amazing experience um, that they gave us there. So uh, we, we bought a bottle, and each year I will write back to to the whiskey maker there, and he he writes back to me, and sometimes he'll send uh, send a bottle, and he'll you know sign the bottle for me, and. Uh, just what? a special relationship that uh, I've personally got with Jura. That's extraordinary. You really have. Congratulations. The, uh, the handler's now looking very pleased with herself. So thank you very much for selecting the right person to come on this podcast. I don't get letters from uh, head distillers. I've met some and I've got their name. Theoretically, I have their signatures, but only because they sign every bottle. So I've got lots of David Stewart's signature on Balvenie bottles, but no personal notes from him yet. That's good. I want to aspire to be more like you. So, I, I do have just one more whiskey story. Yeah, please do. Happens, this is what we're here for. It only happened uh, last week or so. So we were in, um, in Toronto and Canada. Yeah. And uh, met uh, met an astronaut there, the Canadian astronaut, and we were having a uh, a chat with him, um, and it just really down to earth uh, chat. That's brilliant. Okay. Was that in- was that intentional that the astronaut's down to earth? 
Chris Hadfield. Yeah, it was Chris, sorry, but it's just... Um, I love the fact that he's... I'm glad he's down to earth, because it would be very difficult to talk to him otherwise. Uh, we were having a chat with Chris Hadfield, and um, he'd introduced himself, he um, did a sort of classic thing, he said, yeah, hi, I'm Chris Hadfield, I'm a, um, a fighter pilot, and I've been an astronaut for 25 years, and kind of dropped the mic, and all of our jaws hit the floor, um, and afterwards we were, we were chatting, and we were just talking about whiskey, and he said that uh, he'd had a bit of a heavy night the night before. Yeah. So I said, oh, well, what were you up to? And he said, oh, it's been his birthday. And he'd had a bottle of fifty-year-old whiskey. So um, again, he dropped the mic twice on me, and extraordinary. I had to sit down and, and just bow down to the, the great man. Yeah, I've I've twice had Balvenie fifty served to me in tiny little vials by a, a Balvenie whiskey ambassador. It's an extraordinary thing. So actually, your story about so you met him and he said what he did. He said he's an astronaut. So my one of my favourite stories. It was uh, something that happened in. It's actually got nothing to do with whiskey, but I'm still going to tell it. It was in the garden of the British Consul General. Um, in the residence in Los Angeles and I was hosting a reception and there was quite a lot of whiskey there so that's the whiskey link and there was a friend of mine and he he, he, went, he went to the table and he was being polite and introduced himself and he said uh, you know hi I'm Dom and the other guy said hi I'm Dave he said what do you do and Dom said I'm a I'm an accountant. I sort of specialise in tax. What do you do? I fly spaceships. Um, so a very, very nice Scottish man who was a former colleague of yours. So a guy called Dave Mackay was an yes. RAF pilot. Um, and, Virgin, he? and they went to Virgin to fly uh, commercial jets. And now he flies spaceships for Virgin Galactic. Um, and he has promised to come on this uh, podcast. I know him quite well. And he's come to half a dozen of my whiskey tastings. And I want to talk to him about flying spaceships. So... Uh, yeah, you, he, but he's a, an extraordinary guy and very Scottish and loves his whiskey. I would, I'd love to meet him as well. And um, as part of the tour, we are going to meet up with Virgin. Um, we're going to. Oh, when you're in Long Beach? Yeah, we're going to go and see them actually in Mojave. Oh, so amazing. They're doing their testing. We'll land there on the ground, um, go and shake hands with the guys there. I'm not sure if we're going to be allowed to have any whiskey on that one or not. But, no, right. uh, well, if you see David Kai, tell him he's, uh, you've been on the podcast <laughs> and now it's his <laughs> okay, turn. Okay. So. We're then going to uh, launch out of there to fly down to Los Angeles to hook up hopefully with a 747 uh, called Cosmic Girl, um, which launches satellites into space, yeah. um, and looking to do a, a fly past over the Queen Mary. Um, so fingers crossed that all comes off. Fantastic. Um, at the end of that evening, then we'll, um, we'll land uh, a local airfield and, and jump onto the Queen Mary as well. So hopefully post that with a tram of... Uh, oh, wonderful. Well, I've been invited to that event, so I'll be there, and I'm, I might bring another bottle of whiskey along uh, to give you if we, if we finish this one. Uh, so where were we? Oh, so we were talking about whiskey. Um, and and I, yeah, I like your, I like the fact that you sort of you were doing whiskey diplomacy when you were when you were based over here. That's right. Yeah, Britain's will be proud way. of you. <laughs> Depends if you can remember the end of the uh, the evening from the, the rest of the diplomacy, but uh, normally it works out. So actually, I'm gonna, just to, obviously no rules are being broken this evening. I'm interested in the rules. What are the Obviously, there's been some weird stories recently of pilots being arrested in the morning. Uh, you know, commercial pilots, not RAF yeah. pilots, to be absolutely clear. Because obviously, there's very strict rules about drinking and so on. How does it work with you guys? Because you're all grown ups, but you're also yeah, yeah, all grown ups. So we tend not to have a drink on a day that you're not um, that you're going to fly the next day. Yeah, excuse me. Um, so you've mentioned about different countries have different rules. Would you like a touch more? Yes, please. Okay. Um, He's not flying. Just to reiterate re- re- that. So. Uh, but yeah, different countries have different rules, and we've got to respect those. Um, and for us, probably uh, a beer um, in the evening would be uh, would be enough. Yeah. Uh, so take that very seriously. Safety is paramount for for us. We're displaying in front of the public. Um, so uh, there's absolutely no room for um, flouting any of that kind of stuff, and there is uh, there's no desire to uh, amongst any of the teams. So we have a whiskey on a on a day off. Uh, and that kind of thing, but um, yeah, we're never going to mix uh, whiskey with... No, no, indeed. So let's just go back to some Red Arrow stuff. Um, so, 
Obviously, it's, it's hugely powerful what you do. I think, there were, if I remember rightly, in I think about 15 years ago, during one of the defence spending reviews, there was talk of cutting the red arrows because it costs £9 million a year and what a waste of money in the way that politicians can sometimes talk. I think I can say that now, I don't work for the government. And the re- I think David Cameron came out, and actually it wasn't David, somebody came out and said, no, the red arrows have a, a hugely important role in sort of inspiring people as part of a sort of Britain's outreach around the world. Do you, do you feel that when you go to work in the morning? Um, I think you're, you're very much aware of uh, the wider reach um, that the Red Arrows brings. Um, and it's, uh, for me, living up to, to that kind of challenge, you're, you know, if you put on that red suit, you're becoming a brand ambassador, uh, absolutely, for uh, not only um, the Red Arrows, the military, but it goes wider than that because we fly the, um, the Union Jack on on our tail. So when we come away overseas, then absolutely you're a brand ambassador for the for the country as well. And and on this particular tour, there's been some extraordinary coverage of obviously some of the incredible displays you've done. Um, you know the, the red, white, and blue flown on September the 11th. But also when you've been on the ground, there's been some great coverage on social media of because you got to do some pretty cool stuff, particularly in places like New York. So you are you know it's not just the flying; it's that extension of. Just no, being here. And absolutely, the, the, we're doing more ground engagement than flying. Actually, so about 20, 25 displays, uh, 20 to 23 fly pasts, uh, that kind of magnitude. But so in terms of our ground engagement, it's well over 100 different ground engagement events that we're, we're doing. So uh, that can uh, range from just a small sc- uh, sort of scale gathering um, that we had in Houston the other day to some, some really big uh, big PR events that we're, we're going to be involved in. So. Uh, that outreach can can certainly reach further uh, afield than just people look, looking up to seeing us in the sky. We actually want to get on the ground and, and rub noses with people and, and really uh, get to know people and, and say hi. So you're what two thirds of the way through the tour? Yeah, getting there, so, um, just over halfway really. Okay. Um, in terms of distance, we've covered quite a bit, and we're on our way to the west coast. Um, but then it's going to take us a little while to, to hop all the way home as well. So. And getting here, so um, that I understand. The range of these aircraft is not long enough to fly the Atlantic in one go. So how did you how did you get here? It was a bit of a multi-stop event. It, it was a multi-stop event, and I had my own personal adventure with uh, with that one. So um, uh, we went from Lincolnshire up to Lossiemouth in Northern Scotland, uh, then to Iceland, uh, to Greenland, and to Northern Canada. Uh, one of our jets, unfortunately, had a. So I'm going to have to ask this question. I've just thought of this. So when you when you're just flying for sort of transportation. Presumably, you don't fly in formation, you just fly. No, we do. <laughs> really? We do, yeah. We break it down into six and six, so we're not in the, the big wing that yeah, yeah. takes a little bit more skill and practice to, to hold. Um, but we'll break it down to six and six with about a mile separation between each uh, of those two six elements. Okay. And um, as number 12, I'm sitting right at the very back in the in the stem of the uh, the second six. Yeah, okay. Uh, always on, dis- on display. Yeah, very good. Um, so we had one jet that was uh, had a, a minor snag in Iceland. Uh, so we left that in Iceland um, and get all the, all, got all the rest of the jets across to uh, to Halifax in in um, Nova Scotia, and then I personally went back then to pick up that jet and then uh, flew it across the Atlantic on my own uh, to catch the rest of the guys up. How do, how does it how did you fly across the Atlantic on your own? As in, does it? So just um, just did all of those little legs. Oh, so, so you went and did it again? Yeah, oh. actually, yeah. Wow. Um, so I had my own little adventure. Very good. How how long do they need to? 
It's like a Tesla where you've sort of got an hour to refuel and on you go. How long How long are you on the ground for in between? We normally spend between two and three hours. Okay. Uh, to, if, if, it's a, if we've got an engineer support, then uh, a little bit less than that. Yeah. Um, so we fly uh, with what we call the circus in the back seat. Uh, they're the traveling circus. Uh, they wear the, the blue suits. Yeah. Sometimes you'll see them at, uh, at displays. Uh, so each of the Reds will have his own circus. Um, yeah. When you're doing transits, then he will sit and fly in the back seat. Okay. Um, so when you then arrive, then he'll, he can turn that jet for you, refuel it, get it all ready for your next display. So yeah. we might be doing PR and engagement and all that kind of stuff, and he's getting our jet ready. And, and when you say he, it's, it's he or she, because I saw quite yes. a few blues. Yeah. And that is that, I'd like to think that's not relatively new, but I imagine in 1964 it was all men. I, I can imagine so back in the day. Yeah. Um, nowadays, then, uh, not at all. So, yes, yeah. we, um, all of the roles in the Red Arrows are open to um, uh, males and females. So, yeah. we've had a female bef- uh, pilot before in the Red Arrows. Yeah. Uh, and we've certainly got uh, lots of female engineers. And uh, as you mentioned, we've got female uh, circus too. Yeah. So, um, I'm conscious of time because uh, I've, this is a busy few weeks for you guys so I don't want to take too much of your time so I'm going to ask you my my standard final question on this podcast which is if you could drink any whiskey with anyone dead or alive um, who would it be what whiskey would it be and where would it be you're going to have to give me a minute or two to think that's about. fine this often happens you can you can take a take another sip and pretend you're just having a drink to buy yourself time it's like in an interview when you say can you just rephrase that question goodness me um, let's start with the whiskey. So my favourite whiskey is a, is a Jura. Yeah. So it have to be a Sherry Cast Jura. Um, my particular favourite is a Jura Sherry Cast Exola. Um, okay. So not not particularly aged, but um, just very uh, very smooth and a, and a good finish. Um, just to buy you a bit more time, um, one of the guests on the podcast three podcasts ago. Uh, is the uh, West Coast Ambassador for Jura, who I'm now going to invite to the Queen Mary event. Um, and uh, once she's listened to this, so you may you may get a gift, and and not because they sponsor, but because you know it sounds like you deserve it. What's, so. uh, what's her name? So her name is Jennifer Wren. So I'd like to spend my time. With <laughs> 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 this is very good. <laughs> Jennifer Wren would be my favourite person <laughs> drinking a Jura Exola. I'll finish there. Very good. <laughs> Super. So, that's sort of cheating, but I'll let you off. Um, Red 12, thank you very much indeed for your time. That was wonderful. My pleasure. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Mm, I love scotch. Scotch. And don't forget to not just follow us on Twitter and Instagram at US of Dramerica, but also ask us questions and comment and say nice things. And please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if the mood takes you, you can leave us a review as uh, feedback is always welcome. And drink whiskey. Slonchevar. <laughs>